everybody. Welcome to episode 58 of the Snake of the Draft podcast. In this episode, I have Jacob Sanderson coming on the podcast. You should be following him on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. He's the co-founder and lead analyst of Full Tilt Fantasy, co-host of Full Tilt Dynasty and DFS podcast, and writer for Join Our Circle. Today, we're going to be talking about a recent article that Jacob did over the Pareto Principle. Did I pronounce that right? Pareto? Or how are you pronouncing it? Yeah, Pareto Principle. Yes. Okay, Pareto Principle. So welcome, Jacob. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be on here with you. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I actually just saw your article, read through it, and I was like, man, this is this is a cool uh, philosophy and a different way of thinking about like dynasty strategy. And uh, we were talking before that you're going to have multiple parts of this uh, coming out over the next couple of weeks. So I'll definitely put the first part in the show notes. And uh, do you want to just get like a general summary? Or actually, no, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I ask every guest, what is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? So let's start there. Yeah, so um, I'm a big golf guy. Um, I'm li- I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm living out in Vancouver now, which for people that live in the States, probably Vancouver doesn't seem like a tropical paradise, but for me it is. Like I came back, uh, I, was, I was home over the holidays, and I came back out here and a few of my classmates, um, I'm, I'm in law school here in BC, were like, oh my God, it's so cold. And I was like, bro, are you kidding? <laughs> like it's plus eight. It was like minus 20 in Winnipeg. So the idea that I can golf here, like close to year round is the best. Um, so yeah, absolutely love golf, love doing pretty much anything I can outdoors. So just being out here in a, in a better climate is nice for that. That's, that's pretty funny. Oh, and that's, that's degrees Celsius, right? Plus eight, negative 20. Oh yeah, this is right. Okay. Yes. No, no, I, you're I get fine. caught as a Canadian here, but yeah, plus no, eight I mean, for the American listeners probably like plus forty-five or something. I guess. Anybody I in the U.S., we're just being difficult. We should definitely just go to <laughs> Celsius and metric system. Just make life easier. It makes sense, anyways. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned those degrees because right now I'm I'm a Texas boy, so uh, oh, yeah. it's usually like right now it's actually been like in the forties the last week or so. But it's usually like 50s, 60s. And so it's like, man, it, I don't know what you're talking about. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, negative 20 degrees Celsius would be like pretty much zero, right? Fahrenheit? Um, yeah, something like that. I think that my usual rule of thumb is like minus 30 divided by two, something like that. And okay. we hit, we like regularly hit minus 40 to 50 Celsius, which Jeez. would be, that's like, around well i think it's pretty much the same like minus 30 celsius is the same as minus 30 fahrenheit so and we're we live in that range for a lot of the winter in uh in winnipeg manitoba like it's it's a thing you you turn on the radio in the morning and they're they're saying okay you know 50 minutes exposure with any exposed skin could cause permanent damage uh so it's it's a different Jeez. life up there yeah, that's that sounds miserable, but it's yeah, definitely where you're at now is a tropical paradise <laughs> compared to negative degrees. Like, man, that's crazy. So now going into your article, what is the Pareto principle? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a principle that I learned uh, studying economics, but I know we have another guy with fantasy intervention uh, join our circle. Uh, Ryan Morrison, who is in engineering, and he said it's applied a lot there too. It's applied in a lot of different fields. But basically, it it just means that sort of in any given situation, 80% of your outputs are going to, or sorry, 20% of your inputs are going to be responsible for 80% of your outputs. And so sort of applying that to like regular life, if you run a company, you know, sort of the best 20% of your employees are going to be responsible for the 80% of your work product. 
in your stock portfolio. You know, your best 20% of your stock portfolio is going to be responsible for 80% of your gains or, or potentially your losses. And, you know, as it applies to fantasy football, of course, we're talking about, you know, the 20% of the people on your roster, 80% of the output of your roster and the value of your roster. And so basically it, it just means that it's more important to get the most important pieces right you know, than it is to get all of this different depth right, because less of your roster really, really matters than you think that it does. And it can apply to sort of all aspects of your life, but that's how it applies, at least to fantasy football. Yeah, I really like that because it can um, remind all of us that those top end guys are who you're looking for. And uh, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Dalton Cates at Dalton Guru FF, where he was sort of talking about like rookie picks and how uh, go for those high-end rookie picks instead of trading for something of similar value because then you could get a 3x value increase, which I feel like fits with this principle really well because yeah. then you're you're going for that top-end value. So also in your article, you talked about points above replacement. How did you calculate PAR and what was your main like takeaways from it? Yeah, so sort of that's how I started out, right? Um, it was just looking at from like a purely points being produced in fantasy perspective Points above replacement is basically the, the amount of points that each sort of slot is generating above the replacement level starter at their position. So, you know, if you're starting three wide receivers, your replacement level would be wide receiver 36, right? That's sort of the worst acceptable starter um, if everyone has three wide receivers. So how many points above replacement can you expect out of, you know, your wide receiver one, um, wide receiver five, wide receiver 17, whatever. And what you see is it's, you know, it's not a particularly linear distribution, right? A lot of that is concentrated at the top. And specifically what you see too is that at running back, at quarterback, and especially at tight end, um, it's a lot more concentrated at the top. Wide receiver is a little bit flatter. Gotcha. Yeah. And it honestly just makes a ton of sense. And that's why like the top end picks are so valuable in dynasty and even redraft. And you even talked about with, dynasty how it's like a two market system I, I think that was the wording i may be misspoke but with redraft you know it's very much like points like age doesn't matter as much versus dynasty you have age that matters the longevity of someone's career and it honestly just gets really uh crazy and tough to value these players because i mean we could talk about Devonte adams versus justin jefferson you know like jeff right. J- justin jefferson top three rookie season ever Devonte adams the wide receiver one dominated touchdown category everything and like how do you value them like it's it's one of those things that like for you with the Pareto principle are they pretty similar like comparable related to their situations yeah I mean they are and they aren't and they are in the sense of like if I'm if I'm in a startup right now right I'm taking them at similar spots but where that dual market system comes into play in dynasty versus redraft is right it's not just about points right in redraft everyone starts theoretically on the same level, right? You all have the same amount of picks. You all go in from ground zero every September. But in Dynasty, right, you're all starting in different places. And so the real way that you become a dominant Dynasty leaguer is to accrue value. And so, you know, acquiring a guy like a Justin Jefferson or a Devontae Adams now can give you tons and tons of points above replacement. They'll give you almost zero accrued value, right? Because you're buying them as top five Dynasty wide receivers, which is fair. That's what they're worth. And I'm not saying you shouldn't want those guys in your roster. You absolutely should. But sort of where where Dynasty brings in is like in redraft, I'm always all about, okay, let's just get the top guys and we'll figure out the rest off the waiver, right? Because you can find a James Robinson off waivers. You can find a Miles Gaskin off waivers. 
Whereas in Dynasty, you know, you have top producing guys that aren't worth as much market value, either due to age or due to, you know, like a guy I just mentioned, Miles Askin, right? Who's really great this season. Who knows? Like he might be an answer to a trivia question one day. We have no idea if he's going to carry a lot of value next year. Um, you know, even James Robinson, obviously, like, I think we could be more confident about him going in forward to next year, but we shouldn't be like super, super confident. Um, so in Dynasty, like what's super important is, can you find, you know, Justin Jefferson last year? Can we find um, Antonio Gibson, right? It's the guy I spent time talking about, Chase Claypool, the guys where you spent not a whole lot and then they accrue massive amounts of value for you um, right after they're on your roster. And that's where, you know, either you just keep that guy and like, let's just say Justin Jefferson is a top five dynasty wide receiver going forward, right? You acquired him for the price of like probably a top 30 dynasty wide receiver. He's accrued tons of value for him. Or if you traded him away, you know, and cashed out, you're getting way, way more than you put into it. And that's, that's ultimately how you win dynasty leagues. Yeah. And my next question was this big, long question, but really you answered it just now in that, like for those dynasty startups with those first three to four rounds or so from what I just heard from you, I'm thinking that you would recommend like trading back and trying to get more, say shots like finding the next guy to a, occur a ton of value while also maybe you know getting at least one to two guys in those first couple rounds to help uh, solidify your offer and your your offer your team goodness uh and and just trying to just build this team as solid as possible is that sort of how you view dynasty startups with like moving back to get as many like maybe you're loading your shotgun type of idea yeah i mean it depends like if there's one thing i noticed this year it seems there's way more people trying to trade back so it's harder Last year, I was always just trading back out of the first round, you know, usually even out of the second round constantly. And I was getting a lot of excess value. And this year, you know, I just, I'm, I don't feel like I'm ever getting those total smash offers. So I'm trading back if there's not a guy that I really love. But in general, yes. Like, I, I think that's one of the things that um, is interesting about Dynasty is it relates to this principle and what I'm talking about, right? Is you think, oh, let's just, go up and get the top guys. And I don't think that's always the case, especially not in a startup because when you're in the startup, right, everyone starts in the same playing field and you need to find a way to get way above everyone else. And to me, like I like to play dynasty, frankly, with what I see is like a lot of humility. I assume I'm going to be wrong often. So for me to just sort of assume that I'm going to just draft a better startup team out of my draft slot than everyone else is like, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, it probably won't happen. There's like an 11 out of 12 chance it won't happen. Yeah, I, I would like to trade back and I would like to try and accrue as much value as I can and, you know, hope that those assets improve because I, I don't want to buy guys at their ceiling. Yeah, and honestly, that's super smart, being humble and really realizing that we're all playing this game that is way more luck than we like to think it is. Like uh, somebody that I was really high on, I've talked about a couple of times, like Darius Geis. Well, mm -hmm. off the field stuff comes up. He was a ninth round pick in startup Superflex. And now he's worth nothing. Like you can't yeah. control that or even like a player getting injured and missing the whole season, like a Christian McCaffrey. And just to do a quote from your article that just summarizes everything you just said, like while following the Pareto principle reactively may suggest that trading picks and depth for Carolina's running back, Christian McCaffrey is always a good idea. That would be learning the wrong lesson. Instead you focus on the importance of players improving or draft pick hitting, which is, is really smart. And it shows that you're trying to, just get as much value with potential for it to explode in the future. So with like talking about the draft pick hitting side of it, do you have any type of philosophy with how to improve your 
your hit rate with draft picks or is it more just get a ton of draft picks or what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a, a quote I believe is um, from Drew Dinkmeyer, who's the leading DFS analyst at Establish the Run. And it's, it refers to DFS, but I would apply this quote to rookie drafts too in Dynasty, which is, it's not about how often you're right. It's about how right you are when you are right or how much you win when you're right. And that's sort of my approach in rookie drafts, right? Like it's whether or not you get a hit as in, you know, usually I think a hit is defined as top 24 at running back or wide receiver. So whether or not you get a hit to me is less important than how big of a hit, right? And one of the examples I used was sort of Zach Moss versus Antonio Gibson last year. So, you know, pre-Geis, Moss was usually going ahead of Antonio Gibson. And I think that's a situation where we could look at it and say, okay, you know, Moss coming out of Utah was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Seems like a really solid running back. You know, drafted to Buffalo where they don't really have a whole lot of backfield competition there. He's probably going to hit. Um, and Antonio Gibson, you know, 33 carries in college, much higher risk factor. But, I mean, like, what is a hit for Zach Moss, right? Like, he's he's a plodding running back, not really known for being explosive in the pass game. You know, is this a guy that has the profile of a top 10 running back, of a top five running back, you know, not really, right? Just based on limited pass game volume, not an explosive athlete. That seems to not be a guy who is going to be an RB1. Whereas if Gibson, like speed score of 99th percentile, comes from a pass catching background, he could totally flop. But if he does hit, he could become a transcendent player on your roster. And to me, like that's that's a guy that we should have all been drafting ahead of, you know, a Moss, ahead of a Keyshawn Vaughn. Because I think... It's, it's not just about how many times you hit because your misses, that's sort of the last thing I say, assume you'll hit because your misses don't matter that much, right? The reality is like what you're investing mid second round rookie pick, like it's not a whole lot. Like those are pretty gettable on the trade market. So if you just totally flush one down the toilet, it's honestly not the end of the world. Um, draft scared. But if you're able to turn one of those into a guy who becomes, you know, a top five player of their position, then that just massively changes the face of your dynasty roster, right? Like that's just getting a guy for free. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing I look at, like Jalen Hurts, for instance, right? Like he was going in the mid third sometimes in super flex drafts. And if you're looking at it, it's like, okay, like who are my options here? Right? Like I can take Anthony McFarland, who's like a small satellite back. I could take Josh Kelly, who's like a plotting right back that maybe has opportunity on his side. You know, Devin Duvernay was going in this range, KJ Hamler or whatever. It's like, or I can just take Jalen Hurst. Maybe he's nothing. Maybe he never starts a game in the NFL. But if he plays, like the, the nice thing is you have, you know, two outs with him, right? He could he could be an absolutely terrible NFL quarterback. I don't think he is, but he could have been. He'd still be a good fantasy asset because he runs so much. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he gives you near-term payoff if he just sees the field. And then if he ends up developing into a really good quarterback, you have like top five upside. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point with the whole idea behind focus on the hits, like going for the fences more than, like you said, like playing scared, you know, like go go for the fence. And also with even players like Hertz and um, like Gibson, you know, think about it more related to fantasy production. Stop thinking about it related to the NFL. Like that's why um, I, I'm still going to draft Trevor Lawrence 1.01 over Justin Fields. But at the same time, talking about fantasy football, it's not out of this world to think Justin Fields could potentially outproduce Trevor Lawrence related to more rushing upside. It's so, question. Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's tough. Cause you know, you want the better NFL quarterback. Cause then you think that it offers you more stability 
which is where dynasty gets a little funky is that you're thinking about stability of players and such but then again justin fields he's played well and obviously he was like what qb4 for a couple weeks on twitter and then bumped up to qb1 for a week or two so uh twitter's always fun with that fashion but yeah i honestly with this Pareto principle it was just uh it was a great like summary into a new new thought process that i, I thought was really well done and and we're still going to talk about one of my dynasty teams and sort of break it down. But do you want to talk about just like a quick summary of the next couple of articles you have coming out about the Pareto principle? And then we can summarize it again at the end. Yeah. So we're going to sort of build off of this idea because it was really an overview. One of the things I got into at the end that we're going to expand a lot more is consolidation versus conversion. Um, and essentially that's where consolidation is. So you have this boatload of assets and we're going to talk about this with your team because you have a team that, you know, has, I think, more value in total assets than it has in terms of starting roster. So how do you consolidate this boatload of assets into this optimal starting roster? And that's really what you want to do when you have a team that has a much higher value than the average value of a, of a roster in your league, right? You're already good. You don't need to extend more value. You just need to make a better roster and win the thing versus conversion, right? It's like you have a roster that's sort of average, maybe below average, but you have a couple really good players, you know, or even just some, average players you want to you want to be able to accrue value and you got to look at your roster who are the guys that have good trade value but who probably aren't going to increase in value because if you don't have a top team and you have guys that can't get more value then what purpose are they serving for you and and so the next article we're going to talk about rebuilders and we're going to focus a lot on on how to convert assets um how to accrue more value then we'll talk about contenders and then eventually i'm really excited to talk about for the 2021 rookies and who you can really target as having that asymmetrical upside where the positive that they bring to your team if they hit is way higher than what it is if they miss. So I can't wait to talk a lot about Trey Lance, uh, especially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be a good one. And uh, Jacob is definitely going to be coming back on the podcast. I'm going to be patient, though, everybody, and wait till he's done with it all and then and then come back on and talk about it. But let's just break down one of my teams. And of course, everybody, this is one of my awesome teams. Uh, there are teams that are not this good. Uh, I've talked about it plenty of times. So there was a team starting out this season that drafted and everything. And I using the dynasty nerds, like contender and uh, dynasty tool. I was 14th in both. It happens. Yeah. Not pretty. I'm, I'm up to 18th now in dynasty. So we're, we're on the up and up, uh, but maybe we'll talk about that team next time to humble myself. But with this team, my core is Mahomes, Dak, Amari Cooper, and Deontay Johnson. So you'll see the core of actual players. It's not very deep. But with the picks, it's the 1.01, and this is a super flex league as well, 1.01, 1.02, 1.07, 1.09, 1.11, 2.01, 2.02, and a couple more picks mid-second and the early third. So I have seven of the top 14 picks. My running backs do suck with only Pollard being my best one, and Titans are nothing special with Ingram, Ertz, and Logan Thomas. So with a team like this, Jacob, what would be your strategy with the Proto Principle? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing – if you are a dynasty nerd subscriber, the first thing I would do is just log into dynasty GM and you can just literally see, you know, in very nice graphical format where your team lines up in terms of your league. Right. And, you know, you can pick and choose and see, okay, actually I think they're too low on this guy or too high on this guy, whatever, but you can get a good idea. Right. And that's when you want to decide, all right, am I a consolidator? Am I converting? And, you know, I don't have it pulled up for this team, but if I had to guess, you're probably going to be in the top three or so. I think you have a lot of value on this roster. Um, especially once they sort of see how high these picks actually are. And so you're going to be wanting to consolidate off this team. 
if you don't have, you know, Dynasty GM, if you don't have a tool like that, the easiest thing is just sort of go through position by position in your roster and just sort of ask, am I above average at each slot, right? Like, is my QB1 top six or better, right? If it's not top six or better, there's only 12 QB1s, then, then you're below average. If it's top six or better, you're above average. My RB1, top six or better. RB2, top 18 or better, you know, et cetera. And you just sort of go through each position. And with you, I mean, clearly, right, your quarterbacks are way ahead of the game, right? We got yeah. Mahomes and Dak here. Um, you know, at least in my rankings, you know, Mahomes won, duh. Um, I think I have Dak uh, sitting at QB7 right now. So, you know, right on a mid-range QB1, certainly way better than your average QB2. You know, running backs, uh, not great, but we'll get back to that. Wide receivers, right? <laughs> I mean, Cooper and Johnson, like, right? you're basically missing wide receiver one, right? Like, if, if Cooper's yeah. your wide receiver two and Johnson's your wide receiver three, you're absolutely laughing. So if you sort of look at how does this become, you know, a top roster, you need two running backs, um, you know, for sure. You need that wide receiver one. And you look at the picks and, you know, what do we got here again? It's like 101, 102, 107, right? So we've got a million picks. Yep. So if you just think about it, like, let's, let's just say, you know, for sake of argument, you traded 101 and 102. Like you're absolutely getting, you know, those two stud running backs, you're absolutely getting that wide receiver one. And then you have all these other picks left over. So you're clearly ahead of the game. So basically, yeah, what I would do is just look at first off, you know, how can I attack my needs? Right. So you don't really need, you don't really need Lawrence and fields on this team, right? Like you already are super set at quarterback and, you know, I would just feel it out. And I think depending on where the market is, like, I wouldn't be set on who I would trade, right? Like if I feel like the one guy you probably want to hold is Dak because I feel like he's the one guy the market's probably too soft on. Yeah. Um, but like if someone's going to give you an absolute ton for Mahomes or an absolute ton for Lawrence, I, I wouldn't be opposed to trading either of those, right? And then you roll with Dak and Fields and one of the other two I think would be great. And ideally, like I, I would for sure want to get, you know, two or three young stud running backs depends how you feel about the ones in this class. Like, do you want to go for, you know, a Najee Harris or an Etienne or a Javante Williams by trading back? Or do you want to just push in some of these, you know, for a, a veteran um, that's out there or even, you know, one of these 2020 rookies, but that'd be sort of first plan. And then once you get to the leftovers, it's like, all right, you know, now what's the last infinity stone. It's probably tight end where you're missing, you know, it's like you have enough value at tight end, but you just don't have any one particular tight end that you want to start. And so that's sort of when you start thinking in multiple trades, it's like, okay, who's the team who's like really bad at tight end. I can give them one of my math tight ends. Like you can have Evan Ingram or Logan Thomas or whatever. And I'll take, I don't know, a pick or I'll take something um, that's more flexible. And then I can use, you know, that and attach it to the other tight end I'm left with to get a top guy like a Hawkinson or a Mark Andrews, or, you know, this could be a team you take Kyle Pitts with. I think that's the biggest thing is people often think, only one step, right? It's like, I need a tight end. So what can I trade to get that tight end? Sometimes it's two steps. And sometimes, you know, picks are, are like currency in a lot of ways in, in fantasy football, because it's the easiest thing to sort of just assign a value to and need doesn't have to apply because it can be anything someone wants it to be. You know, obviously in some leagues, some people just don't want to have picks ever, but for the most part, people sort of see them similarly and a team that needs a wide receiver team that needs a running back especially in this class team that needs a quarterback even needs a tight end even like they can see that asset in a pick so 
to me, it's like I would take an Evan Ingram or Logan Thomas, trade them for like, you know, try to get a mid second round pick or something out of it, then use that to attach to the tight end you have left. And then you can, you know, get a TJ Hawkinson that you probably couldn't get if you're like, hey, do you want two of these dusty tight ends for TJ Hawkinson? Like, that's probably not going to work. So that'd be something I would look at. And then, yeah, just find a way to get two running backs, basically. Yeah, the two running backs part is probably going to be the worst. But one thing that's nice is that one of the teams that's going to end up being an orphan has Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Cam Akers. So potentially oh, yeah. when they were they were like not – there's no way I was going to get them. There's now potential that obviously it's going to cost a decent amount to try to get uh, Cam Akers and then Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'd say Clyde Edwards-Alaire is actually cheaper than what his production warrants, honestly. He's become yeah, one of the – I know, dude, and I don't get it. Like, if you look, like, the reason that he's not the shiny new toy is that in week 16, 17, he didn't even play. Right. Like, he didn't he didn't produce at the end of the season, but he was relatively consistent in his production. It was, like, I think 14 or 15 points per game in PPR, which is nothing to, nothing to like, frown or be ba- mad about or anything. That's a solid high-end RB2, which is pretty nice. But, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Like yeah, I'm with you. And even like selling Mahomes or the 1.01, I've definitely thought about both of those. And uh, it's it's good to remember that nobody is untouchable. It's more related to how the perception of the player is, which you did mm-hmm. a great job talking about Dak versus Mahomes. And now Dak, uh, honestly, I'm super high on Dak because I do expect him to be back on the Cowboys. And I actually like him potentially as QB2 right now wow. in okay. yeah i know I'm, I'm pretty high on him and obviously that means that i'm not moving him for anything just because i'm not going to get value but he's he's just one of those guys that is pretty safe and honestly qb2 to like qb6 is all pretty similar to be honest and then mahomes is just light years above everybody <laughs> right i mean and that's the thing is like it's it's super important to look at your roster and and see like okay who's worth more to me or at least like worth more based on my rankings and what I feel about than they will be, you know, in the market. And it's not always as simple as, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep all my elite players hundred percent of the time. If I have an elite team, like I have a team where um, definitely my best dynasty team, this is like my, my flex team. I have um, uh, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. I have McCaffrey, Zeke, Jonathan Taylor, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs, Chris Godwin. Um, and then I luckily traded Christian Kirk in the off season for a first that now turned out to be one one so, wow. so now we get to have Trevor Lawrence. Um, and you know, I'm in a spot where like, I might trade Lawrence because to me, like I'm fully planning to win the championship this year. So Aaron Rodgers serves, you know, a lot of purpose to me. I'd obviously way rather have Lawrence than Rodgers in a vacuum, but like, I know that all 11 teams in the league have a use for Trevor Lawrence, right? All of them would trade me mucho bucks for Trevor Lawrence. Whereas Rogers really only appeals to a couple other teams, most of whom are my direct title competition. So, you know, in my dream world, I want to move Rogers and then roll with Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. But if I'm looking at it, like I don't want to be in a situation where I have a 37 year old QB three, like that's not a purpose of Aaron Rodgers, right? If he's not starting for you every single week, then what are we doing here? So to me, it's like, if I'm, if I'm trading one, like would I rather trade Rogers under market value or would I rather trade Lawrence for like a boatload of stuff? And then I'll just roll with Aaron Rodgers, my QB too. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. And like Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, those two guys are going to be pretty undervalued related to how safe they honestly feel for the next couple of years. Whenever, if you actually look at like the QBs in, in a dynasty perspective, like most people are 
not even safe next year. And even after that, the year after, like it's, it gets even worse. And yeah. there's probably only uh, even two, I can't even put there right now, but like 11 QBs, I'd say, where I feel pretty certain that two years from now, they're going to be a starter on their team in the NFL. And right. then all like, the rest, you're like, coin flip. Yeah, I think Rodgers is super undervalued. Like the 37 is kind of scary, but I mean, what, Tom Brady's still playing at 43, right? I mean, yeah. like even Rivers and Roethlisberger, who are nowhere near as good and were nowhere near as good as Rodgers is right now, you know, two, three years ago, they're still playing in the NFL. So like, I, I still think we have at least three, four more years of Rogers, you know, if it's not in green Bay, whatever, he just, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to retire anytime soon. And we know that he's going to give us QB one production, at least for the next couple of years. And yeah, like you said, like people still get some of these quarterbacks are like, Oh, they're only 25 years old. It's like, yeah, but what if they suck? <laughs> right? like, like we have, we have six quarterbacks coming into the NFL this year that are potential starters. We're going to have another handful next year. Like some of these quarterbacks, like, man, like to me, the gap between, these veteran quarterbacks from like Rogers going down to like the Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, Kirk cousins, Jared Goff lottery tier. Like heck no. Like I I'm at least 100% confident that as long as Rogers wants to play, he's an NFL starter. Um, And so I'm, I'm comfortable with him. And I think people play too far out with quarterback. Like think about how you approach the rest of your roster. To me, it's so bizarre that you have players, uh, dynasty players that are like, yeah, I'm going to be super happy taking Delvin Cook in round one, but like, I don't want to touch Aaron Rodgers because he might retire in four years. It's like, what do you think's happing to Delvin Cook, man? <laughs> like, you're, like, you're going to invest in a 26 year old running back round one, but you're afraid of, of, of putting taking Aaron Rodgers in round four. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, quarterbacks has been a big like change in my mindset over the last couple of years because not even a couple of years last year or so. Be just with like even thinking about someone like Tom Brady, like yeah. I like Tom Brady over Drew Locke and even. Part of me still likes Daniel Jones a little bit more, but it's just like they're so close together. Like they're literally back to back in my rankings that like, yeah, Tom Brady may have one year left. But then again, we thought that last year and we thought that the year before, like, and they just keeps playing. So why not just get him on your roster and then just just run with him just because he's producing. He's playing well. And yeah, man, the the zero Daniel Jones like there's (laughs) just like like I, I don't hate Daniel Jones or anything, but it's just where he's going like he's going in the same range as like Baker and Tannehill, for instance, who I'm at least like pretty confident are good. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. Would it really shock us if Daniel Jones a year from now is where, you know, Drew Locke, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz are right now. Like, but you can get those guys five, six rounds later. Like to me, I would just, in terms of like these really questionable toolsy young quarterbacks with some precarity in terms of their job status, I'll take the ones that the precarity has already hit and their price reflects it. Like I'll take Carson Wentz in round 12 before I'll take Daniel Jones in round seven, because like Wentz's value can't go down. If I'm buying him in round 12, what am I sacrificing for Carson Wentz? I'm sacrificing like Curtis Samuel, which, okay, who cares? Like if, if I had Curtis Samuel on my roster and he tore his ACL tomorrow, honestly, not the end of the world. Like I, I will live my life without Curtis Samuel. If Carson Wentz never starts on our game in the NFL, which isn't going to happen, that still doesn't hurt my dynasty roster too much. If I'm taking Daniel Jones in round six, round seven, now I'm sacrificing Mari Cooper. I'm sacrificing Chase Claypool. Like I'm sacrificing guys that are real impact players as a roster player perspective. And while I'm pretty confident Daniel Jones is going to be starting next year, like he hasn't shown enough to me that I think he's a starter for the long term. So I just, 
I don't know. Like I, I struggle to buy into these erratic quarterbacks where I feel like they have more room to go down than up. I'd rather buy the ones that are at their floor. Like I have, I have two of Wentz, Darnold and Winston on, I think every startup that I've done this year. Yeah, that's smart. And if anybody heard Amari Cooper's sixth, seventh round and they were like, there's no way I've seen mocks where it's happened. He goes oh, later yeah. than you think. And honestly, wide receivers in general is just crazy. Like once you get to the fifth round, you're like, can I just have all the fifth round picks actually? Cause I like everybody for like fifth and sixth. Yeah. And then it, it gets a little thinner at seventh round, but yeah, there's it, startups are very interesting. So I want to finish up. You had five like new rules for the Pareto principle. Do you want to just go through those real quick? Yeah. So sort of the top rules, number one, accept that only a small players will be responsible for your winning or losing a championship in a given year. And, you know, in that dual market system, that both means, you know, only a small number is from a production standpoint and only a small number from a value added standpoint, right? So sometimes there's a difference between the two where, you know, if you have, if you get Christian McCaffrey on your roster this year and please just let Christian McCaffrey stay healthy, you know, he'll probably be one in that first category where he's one of the few that's really giving you points about replacement. And if you're able to hit on, I don't know, let's say you take Jamar Jefferson at the end of round two. That's a freebie for anyone who wants any of my 2021 draft thoughts. Uh, and he becomes a stud. You know, he's hitting in that second category of giving you that market value. So only a small number of players, both of those sides, going to be really, really effective for you. Understand that the highest market value players have the highest likelihood of producing at an elite level, but less ability to accrue value for your roster. And that's back to, you know, your Christian McCaffrey's, your Devontae Adams, the guys you're paying a premium for, obviously the most likely to hit. They don't have the ability to accrue value. So if, unless your roster is already at a point where your whole roster is elite, those guys aren't really helping get there. If you are at that point, obviously you want those guys. You want to go win a championship. Number three, evaluate your rosters to determine which players provide elite value now, which can develop into elite assets, and which primarily function as stores of value. So, you know, what that means, obviously the first one, who, you know, who provides elite value? right? That's your McCaffrey's, your Adams, um, you know, your AJ Browns, your DK Metcalf's who could develop into elite assets. You know, that's where, if you have a guy like a Jalen Rager, if you have a guy like a Denzel Mims, that's where you want to make a decision. Is this guy's value more likely to go up next year, more likely to go down next year, right? Because there's a lot more, there's a lot, he has a lot wider range of outcomes, that type of player. And so with him, if you think sort of the median of where his value goes in the next year or so is higher than what his value is now, you know, you just want to keep him and let him develop. And, you know, who primarily functions as a store of value, right? That's like your Tyler Boyd, your Robert Woods, whatever. You know, they're not scary assets. I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon, but it would be pretty unlikely if come next year, you know, those guys are worth considerably more than they're worth right now. So, Again, if you're a championship team and you need a wide receiver three, then cool. All right. You know, come along for the ride. But if you're not, then, you know, I'd rather trade that guy in for a piece that has the same amount of value overall, right? Like a men's, like a Rager, like a late first round pick, whatever, but has the opportunity at least to become, you know, one of those elite assets. Rule number four, critically analyze the overall value of your roster to determine whether you should consolidate your assets to minimize your range of outcomes or expand it. And, you know, that's like what we've been saying, right? If you're already at the top, go for the top guys, make sure you stay at the top because those young guys, those, you know, picks, 
right? It's not only rosy. They can't only go up. They can also go down in value. So, you know, if you're already at the top, stay there. If you're not, kind of talk about that. And consider the asymmetrical upside of low market value players, knowing that your hits are far more impactful than your misses, right? And that's huge when you're, you know, picking in the 15th, 16th round of startups, when you're picking, you know, in the late second, third round of your rookie drafts, right? That's like a guy like a Carson Wentz, right? It's like, if Carson Wentz ends up providing zero value to you, is it hurting you that much? Not really. If he gets a starting job and he becomes, you know, a low-end QB1, that's a massive amount of asymmetrical upside. Same thing with, you know, taking a guy like a Jalen Hurts in round three last year, taking a guy like possibly a Trey Lance, who I think might fall to, you know, round two of Superflex rookie drafts this year, depending where he goes. So just always looking at it of if this guy, if this guy's floor outcome hits, how much does that hurt me based on what I'm spending? If this guy's ceiling outcome hits, how much am I gaining based on what I'm spending? And if there's a guy where the ceiling helps way more than the floor, then that's more important than the likelihood of hitting that ceiling. So if I'm staring in round, you know, 13, 14 of a startup draft and my choice is, you know, Jameis Winston or I don't know, David Johnson, right? It's like, but this is a real thing, right? Like people are taking these, you know, dusty running backs and it's like, what's the hope here for David Johnson? Like the hope is that he stays in Houston and I get to ride 30 year old David Johnson, you know, for 60% of the snaps to be an RB two, maybe like, it's just like, who cares? Like I can just find that guy off waivers next year, honestly. Right now, bless David Johnson, you know, Duke Johnson having to get hurt and he helped win me a championship with like the two best weeks since 2015. But <laughs> Like, it's not happening again. It's over. So, you know, whereas with Jameis Winston, like, maybe he's totally nothing. But we've seen it, right? We've seen it. If Jameis Winston is an NFL starter, it's fantasy gold. So at least there's a chance. And in those late rounds, I just want to take a stab at upside, whether you believe in the player or not. Like, one of the things I'm going to be talking about in the next article is that it's not always as simple to me as, okay, if I'm a rebuilder, I just want young players that I hope get better in picks. Like one person that I think is a really good target if you're a rebuilder is actually Julio Jones. Like he's super old. I don't think that you're wanting him, you know, for the long term, but he costs nothing. Like I've seen him be able to be traded for a late second round rookie pick, um, mid second round rookie pick. And you can get him in like round 10 of startups. And he was wide receiver 11 points per game last year. Like let's just assume that he's healthy next year. If he's healthy, and he's performing, you will be able to flip him for, you know, possibly a mid first, late first round pick at the trade deadline next year. That's like a really quick way to accrue value and get upside. And so, you know, you don't have to think in terms of, oh no, I'm a rebuilder. Julio won't work for me. It's like, no, you're just taking a bet that Julio can flip around and turn into an asset that can all of a sudden be much more significant than the asset you would have taken in the 10th round if you didn't take Julio Jones. Yeah, and I think even like if teams decide they want to do a retool rebuild and they have like Travis Kelsey on their team, don't right. don't trade them now. Hold until the season. Trade deadline comes around, then move them. That's something that I messed up on in one rebuild because you know you get excited like I want rookie picks, I want this and that versus realizing that you you get maybe seventy five cents on the dollar if not less if you try to move these players. And so I mean I would take uh, Julio over a uh, mid or late second in superflex easily 
right now just because I, I can ex- I think you can get a late first for him whenever we start talking about contending season pretty easily honestly and that's even with the uh, potential concerns with like the injuries and stuff but you're right he was a wide receiver one in in points per game which is solid and um I, th- I don't think it's a bad play at all and we should you know be looking at who's going to be the guy to move for value and you're right don't don't just stare at age and be like that's all that matters because it's not yeah, and that even matters for contending teams. You know, don't just stare at this old old guy and be like, you know, I want David Johnson on my team right now. Um, there is a couple of people I've told David Johnson may help their team, but that's more like let's wait to see what the Texans do, you know, let's see what happens through the draft. And then if he's still there and you can get him for a late second, early third, I don't think it's a crazy trade. But I do oh, agree. If you that- have David Johnson, I would hold him. Oh, right? yeah, like, for sure. This is the worst time. Like, I remember this from last year, right? There was all these dusty running backs. And this is the time of year where everyone thinks all of them are getting replaced. And, like, probably some of them are. But, like, they're not all going to just evaporate, you know? And David Johnson, like, he's under contract. Mm -hmm. And they don't have any picks. So he could totally be back next year. Like, if if you have David Johnson and you're, like, feeling the panic of, like, oh, no. What if I get nothing for David Johnson? What if he just evaporates and I'm never – and it's, like, Okay, well, what are you missing out on? Like, what's the best you get from right now? Mid third, mid to late third. Yeah, so it's like big whoop, right? Like, <laughs> like people people think that they're better at drafting these rookie picks than they are. Like, you're 100%. What's, what's the chance you're going to hit on that mid third? Like, maybe you will, right? Maybe it's Jalen Hurts, maybe it's Devin Duvernay, maybe it's Josh Kelly, right? So it's like, who cares? You know, what if David Johnson? ends up in the job and then you have a starting running back and then that's when you trade him, right? Like I don't, I definitely like have no intention of just like riding David Johnson to a championship next year, but like you have to be sort of aware of what your windows are. And if, and it's the same thing as like I said, in the startup, right? It's like, what's, what's his median outcome? What's his current value? What's his floor value? What's the ceiling value? And like right now, if you, if you rostered it, if you already have him like his, his basement value is probably much closer to his current value than his ceiling value is. And so, you know, you'd work to trade him later. Yeah. And honestly, it's been a, over the last week or so, we're talking with like Dalton, who actually people will listen to his podcast before this one. Uh, and then with sort of the Pareto principle and talking with you about, you know, going for the rookie picks, just because those hits can be so large, but then, also realizing in setting expectations related to these picks, like you mentioned third round picks. I one thing with the Patreon, my Patreon that I do is I created like a rookie draft uh, hit rate database type thing. And so looking for like 2014 to 2019 for third round picks of two seasons or more, which a hit for this is a top 12 quarterback tight end, top 24 running back and top 30 wide receiver. It's only 5%, which was four players over the last uh, six years. And that's two or more one, one time hits actually 20%, but that includes guys like uh, Mike Davis, who people most likely dropped, but then he hit this season. And it's a little bit iffy, which I probably should look at it, you know, for the first three or four seasons, you know, who hit in that percentage. But even like fourth round picks actually, which don't get the wrong message from this, have hit at a higher rate than third round picks. But that's because like with the drafts I've been pulling, like Aaron Jones and Kenny Galladay were like fourth round picks related to these and like it was just some late guys like Dak and Hooper Diggs some guys went pretty late related to how they produced and I think that there's always going to be outliers but don't chase the outliers 
I'm, I'm going to talk about this in sort of when we get into the 2021 prep, but I, I, that doesn't even shock me. I think people draft terribly in round three because people mm -hmm. chase opportunity too much, I think, in round three, right? Like people look at it and myself included in certain drafts last year. Like I think a lot of the time you've gone through your startup, you've gone through your first two rounds, and now you're looking at round three. You probably have watched zero film on any of the players that you're looking at. You probably haven't heard of them. And so you're sort of looking at this as your last chance to plug a hole in your roster. And you're going, all right, who am I looking at here? Okay, I need a running back because I, I'm short on running back depth. Oh, Josh Kelly, you know, he plays for the Chargers. He might get some early down carries. All right, let's just take him. And people are, are sort of just hole plugging and they're not actually scouting the players. And, you know, players like that, that are sort of getting buoyed into the third round because of opportunity or draft capital are allowing guys with, you know, in my opinion, like a better hit rate and probably a better outcome if they do hit to fall into the fourth, like a Gabe Davis, like a Donovan Peoples Jones, right. Guys with actual athletic profiles um, and guys where maybe the path to relevance isn't as clear, but if you just put them on your roster and let them develop on your taxi squad for a while, there's actually a little bit of hope because in the fourth round, like no one has a good opportunity. So you're actually, I think, approaching things, how you should approach things in general, where you're just taking the best player. But I think people, yeah, I think people draft poorly in third rounds of drafts generally, where they're sort of looking at the wrong things. They're looking at opportunity first. They're looking at draft capital first, and they're looking at the player last because it's sort of their last chance before they can plug a hole in their roster. Yeah. I think that's a, a good thought just because there's like there's no risk and so then you take you just go for it type of thing which i'm looking back at 2019 and 2020 and i'll, I'll share this right here with you jacob so you can actually see it as i'm looking at it too uh but with it it's it's interesting looking at like 2019 honestly the draft was not very deep in general so like and like second round picks actually have not had a hit yet but third round picks have and then fourth round picks is like abysmal but you mentioned some names and I think even like Quintus Cephas is a guy that we'd say oh, yeah. is, is a pretty interesting, like third round guy over someone, even like a Darrington Evans who probably got a bump related to being the backup to, to Derrick Henry. I, I'm not super knowledgeable about people and what they say related to the film of these certain number of these guys, but even like uh, I'm looking at like potentially like Albert O, you know, related to his athletic profile and things like that. Yeah. So um yeah, I, I think we should look at every single pick as a which has the highest ceiling. Like the more and more I talk to you, I talk to different people, you know, look for the ceiling. Like um, we're talking about like running backs in this 2021 class. I feel like they're just going to get a bump just related to how we view running backs in Dynasty, even though I don't think that they have the same ceiling as some of the wide receivers do, which just it just makes me sort of sad a little bit just because you know we're gonna bump up these running backs again and then the wide receivers are not going to be quite as well actually you'll get discounts on them related to them going in the middle rounds that's sort which, of what i'm starting to think which running back do you think now has the potential to be the Keyshawn vaughn slash daryl henderson of 2021 oh. in terms of the running back who just like gets buoyed up um and and no one should be taking where they're taking and ends up just killing people because I, I have a thought about this but that's actually a player i like but. so that's a great question and honestly i'm not the best person to ask that just because i haven't dug into this class like that deep um so i'll let you go ahead and and take this one this one physically hurts me because i really like this player but i think it's going to be kenny gainwell 
Um, like he has so much buzz already and like dude's 195 pounds. So like, that's not great. Like he's, I think he's electric. I think he's fun, but he's a limited player, right? Like people think of, you know, I'm going to see comps Eckler for sure. Like we're all going to see Eckler comps. We're going to see Kamara comps, Aaron Jones. Like those guys aren't 195. Like if he can get to 205, even that's a different story. But if he's like 195, that's CJ Spiller um, zone. Like that's not, that's, that's a guy who you're giving eight to 10 touches a game to max. And if people get the running back thirst and if they start getting the hype train going on him, like people are going to call him to Gibson, which is insane, right? Because they both went to Memphis um, and game, and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, we saw what happened with Gibson and Gainwell outproduced Gibson at Memphis. And it's like, well, no, Gibson like was 228 pounds and you know ran four three nine like everything about his carry count or everything about his everything except his carry count is exactly what you want in a prototypical running back prospect gainwell i think is a niche player who's super super fun who i really like as a player but if he goes in like the late first like I, that's going to make me puke um and that's like i'd way rather like I, the guy i want is jamar jefferson like in the late second who has prototypical size who broke out at 18 has a feature back opportunity i think that's the one that I would prefer. And I would prefer a lot of wide receivers. Like there's so many good wide receivers in this class, similar to last year that I think if people start reaching on, on Hubbard and on Gainwell around the turn and they pass up on the chance to take, you know, any wide receiver named Moore or uh, Terrace Marshall, who's like my favorite, most underrated wide receiver, I think in this class, um Deami brown seth williams all these guys like i think that there will be regrets of people who pass up on these really strong wide receiver class to take maybes at running back and worse maybes with fixed ceilings like there's right like i don't mind maybes at running back the way antonio gibson was a maybe when in the sense of like maybe he's good i just don't want people to take maybes in the sense of like maybe they're good and if they are then they're gonna get eight touches a game and like juke people on a highlight reel <laughs> yeah comps are going to be a little crazy and we're going to see it it's going to happen again and my goal is going to be to just you know try to not get into that thought process myself especially related to this class i think people would be better served i said this on on my own podcast last night yeah um like my resolution is like after we get well i hope we get the combine but maybe we won't um but after we get sort of all the information that we're going to be able to get on these players after you've done your scouting on tape after you've ran whatever models you do or whatever you follow consume the content you're going to consume the morning of the nfl draft just like go out into the woods bring a tent cancel your wi-fi leave your phone at home and then don't come back until your rookie draft and then just draft because landing spots and draft capital like i think at least in 2020 and it feels like in 2019 too like my pre-draft rankings and i think a lot of people's pre-draft rankings were so much better than their post nfl draft rankings right like aj brown you know two years ago everyone loved aj brown i was an ooh titans oh mariota right last year it's like okay well clearly it's taylor swift dobbins in whatever order and maybe of acres you know in that mix too and then all of a sudden it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire's the RB1. And it's just like, so, and I, again, I think Clyde's a buy. I think he's fine, but obviously he probably shouldn't have gone 1.01. Um, and so I think that's like the biggest piece of advice I would have for people is, is think about the player first, 
because the situation is really artificially boosting people's ceilings, right? Like if we're talking about ceiling outcomes, to me, situation doesn't play a whole lot of part in ceiling outcomes. That plays a larger part in floor outcomes, right? Like that's obviously a player needs an opportunity to hit a floor, but are they actually good? Like if they're, if they're a mediocre prospect that just gets a great opportunity, their ceilings kind of stays the same, even if their floor gets raised. So the value is going to be, you know, the guys who are great prospects where their ceiling outcome is still huge, but maybe their landing spot or their draft capital isn't as great. And so their chances of reaching that ceiling decline, but their true ceiling stays, stays the same. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still thinking draft capital is a good thing to watch out for. But I do 1000% agree that we focus on situation way, way, way too much. I, I just think with draft capital, it's it's honestly the most predictive stat. Now we could, you know, talk about the nuances of Clyde Edwards Alaire versus Jonathan Taylor, because that's where Henry Ruggs. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, Henry Ruggs. I know. And even Marquise Brown and stuff like that. And I'm just saying more like first round compared to second round compared to third. Not like he was the first wide receiver drafted. Right. Which I think is how most people like that's I think I like Paul Howdy talks about it with uh you know related to hit rates and stuff with first round versus second round but um we're we're getting into the weeds a little bit and it's a great discussion that we'll have to have eventually but i'm gonna let you go before we talk for way way too long so definitely had a blast jacob do you have any i know you're working on this big project right here do you have anything else you want people to go check out because you mentioned your podcast as well yeah for sure so um go check out the full tilt dynasty podcast uh, we are rolling with that weekly. We just got new graphics up, web development's coming. Um, that's with uh, my guys, uh, William Milestone and Tom Tipple. You can find them at FFIMBQ, that's Tom, and then Big Billy FF on Twitter. Um, I've also got stuff coming with Join Our Circle, Fantasy Intervention. Uh, we're going to have some quick shots out on YouTube this week. It might already be out by the time you've heard it. I have one coming out on Terrace Marshall, one on Devontae Smith. So we got a lot of pumping. Uh, we got a lot of content pumping out on the draft, and then I'm going to have an article out on Antonio Gibson. We talked a lot about today. Uh, I'm doing a series with Zach Black for Join Our Circle, where we're sort of picking some guys who've really gone stock way up this year. And you know, one of us is going to be saying it's time to cash out. The other one's going to say you want to hold on. And so the first one's going to be Gibson, where I'm going to be talking about why you should be holding on tight to Antonio Gibson going into 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Antonio Gibson is definitely someone that, that I want on more teams. So again, everyone go and follow Jacob on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. Uh, make sure to be looking out for the article. If you're interested in reading the article, which I do recommend reading all the way through it. Uh, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I've also retweeted it on Twitter and I'll probably do it again, just whenever this podcast comes out underneath the, the main uh, release of it. So yeah, make sure to go follow Jacob on Twitter. So if you're a new listener, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Snake in the Drive podcast. We're listening to podcasts. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's be snakes this offseason. <laughs>